As technology, healthcare, and business continue to evolve at a rapid pace, trailblazers all over the globe are boldly stepping forward to change things for the better. They're pushing past boundaries in every area and charting a new path forward. There's no denying the world as we know it is in the midst of an epic transformation. Welcome to Present Day Pioneers, the podcast exploring the alternative models that are reshaping the way our society thinks, feels, and behaves. I'm your host, Jackson Bokenfor from Patino Payments. Thanks for joining me on this fascinating journey as we catch a glimpse of what the future holds. Now, let's get into the episode. From cryptocurrencies to open banking, the finance world is in the midst of a major transformation. By moving away from traditional approaches and welcoming new ways of doing things, financial institutions everywhere are embracing these systemic changes to create an improved customer experience and ultimately put the power back into the hands of the consumer. Today on Present Day Pioneers, we'll be discussing the shifts we're seeing in the banking world today and how some of the world's biggest banks are breaking down the barriers to make the world of finance more widely accessible. To inform our discussion, I'm joined by Sarah Zanbergen, Senior Program Specialist at Stance. With the aim of educating, inspiring, and raising awareness among young people, women, and marginalized communities, Stance is an initiative launched by Equitable Bank to help people take ownership over their finances. As the host of the Take Back Talk Back, a podcast dedicated to building financial literacy and confidence among women, Sarah is passionate about helping everyday people feel more comfortable talking about and managing their own money. Sarah, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. Awesome. To begin this episode, could you give us the story of Sarah Zanbergen and how she got to where she is today? Absolutely. Sarah Zanbergen is, uh, she fell into the financial industry by accident and I stayed because I've really been enjoying it. I've been learning so much and I've been having a lot of fun. Back in 2012, I was recruited to write content for a mortgage brokerage. And that was so exciting for me because I got to learn so much and combine that with my love of writing, which is something that I just uh, adore doing and I always have. And from there, I kind of just kept myself open to new opportunities that eventually led to my role at Equitable Bank. And I've been at the bank for just over six years now. And I've been lucky to be involved in a lot of different areas at the bank, see how different departments work. And that not only provides me with a lot of learning opportunities, but Equitable fosters an environment that makes it really easy for employees to grow and explore their career. A good example of this, and we'll talk more about it later, I'm sure, is what happened with the Stance program. It was founded by one of our senior leaders, Kim Kuklowitz, who is the co-host of season one of my podcast. And once it started to grow and evolve, I had the really unique opportunity to lead it. So it's been really an amazing ride. Super cool. So you went from writing and then fell into finance. Yeah, just fell backwards into it. It was a total mistake, but it was one of the best mistakes I ever made, I guess. (laughs) That's awesome. Glad to see that's fitting out for you. Yeah. So we've got the story of uh, Sarah. Now, what about EQ Bank? So how is EQ Bank doing things differently than your traditional big five banks in Canada? That's a really great question. And um, EQ, we pride ourselves on being a challenger bank. And what that really means is it's really a mindset. So we like to think about What are the traditional aspects of banking that we just don't need anymore? For example, branches. So, you know, we don't have branches, so we're able to pass those savings on to our customers. So we're always thinking about how we can make banking a better experience for Canadians. 
Right. So you spoke about cutting out those branches. When you take out those branches, then you can kind of save on the unnecessary fees that those big banks are charging, correct? Exactly. And um, if you go on the EQ Bank website, we actually keep a list of all the fees we don't charge, which I think is great. Um, And we do have a really competitive interest rate on our savings. And that's one of the ways that we're able to do that. Hmm. So let's say I'm on the verge of switching banks, which I kind of am, um, as I can see the value in low fees and high interest savings. Uh, Some of the main functions I use my bank for is a TFSA account and obviously the exchange of goods by credit or sometimes e-transfer. Does EQ provide the same functionality? Do they have an option for a TFSA account? Convince me. We do. We released TFSAs last year. You know, we we really like to talk about the fact that we don't have transaction fees. We don't have monthly fees. We have unlimited free Interact e-transfers. If you know someone, so I'll, you know, send you my referral link after we chat so that you can open one up. Of course. Um, but then... You know, now that we're EQ buddies, if you wanted to, you could send me money for free. It's not an interacty transfer, it's an EQ to EQ, which then you can have your own referral link and convince all your friends to sign up. Um, hashtag shameless plug. But yeah, and we also have uh, RSPs, GICs. We just launched our mortgage marketplace so you can apply for a mortgage online. Again, it's, it's just really, we're trying to have that robust suite of products that we know Canadians need and really just make the process really, really simple and cut out that middleman of going into a branch because who wants to go anywhere right now? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Take out those unnecessary steps. You have all the branches or all the arms, I would say, of a challenger bank and that's exactly what you need to have. So I kind of brought back to, like you said, EQ's website and seeing all the savings that they have on there. I saw a table on EQ's website showing the cost to send $500 to the United States with BMO, Bank of Montreal. And that cost was $39 compared to EQ Bank's $3. Why is the cost exponentially lower with EQ? I will speak to my personal knowledge of this. Full disclosure, I'm not on the product team. So my knowledge of of the international money transfer isn't as robust as somebody on that team. But we have a partnership with WISE, and that's how we're able to fund those international money transfers. And one of the great things about that is if you've ever sent an international money transfer through other means, you might know that there's a lot of info that you need. There's endless, you know, there's, you know, you have to know the SWIFT code and you have to know the branch address of that specific branch that your receiver uses and, you know, blood types. And I'm just kidding about (laughs) that. But, and also, and I didn't know this, and I actually just found this out not too long ago, that you can actually be charged additional fees every time your money has to stop between here and there. And that is something else that we feel is nonsense. And so we cut that out. So the price you see before you send, you know the fees that you're going to pay, and it's upfront. So you're not surprised. Right. Because, yeah, there's so many back-end things uh, with money transfers that I don't think a lot of people understand there's so many different places that it's moving exactly like you spoke to. There's all those fees that are incurred. So if you can take out those little steps and have those savings like EQ is doing, I think that's phenomenal. I agree. And I used to work at a bank branch as a teller many, many moons ago. And when someone would come in to do an international money transfer, I felt stressed for them. Like it was, it was a stressful, stressful situation. So, and it shouldn't be, it just shouldn't be. So that's, yeah, that's totally. what we believe. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your money should be your money. There shouldn't be costs associated with moving your money. It's just an exchange of goods and services. 
Exactly. Exactly. Um, As previously mentioned, you are the senior program specialist at Stance. Am am Mm -hmm. I saying that right, Stance? Stance, exactly. S-T-N-C-E, for those that are listening. Could you explain what Stance is and its overall mission? Definitely. And thanks for asking. Um, Stance is very much uh, a program that's very much a big part of my heart. So Stance's mission is very simple. It's to inspire women to confidently take ownership of their finances through open and informative conversations. So we launched at the bank in 2017 after we did some research with staff inside Equitable Bank and how we approached our finances finances, sorry, and financial decisions. And we found some really interesting things. Obviously, I work with some really intelligent, savvy women and men at the bank. And one of the things that surprised us about the research is that despite their level of financial knowledge, their level of financial confidence was not all that high. So we knew we had to dig deeper and do some more research. And I think that this is really what challengers do. One of our recent guests on the IGTV series that I spoke about, the challenger said that to be a challenger, really what you're looking for is you're looking for problems and finding innovative solutions to solve them. So that's what we set out to do with Stance. We really set out to have a safe space where we can talk about finances and and smash those taboos. Like why should it be taboo to talk about money? Money affects us all. So let's make the conversation less taboo and really get into it and get into the weeds of it and not make it so hush-hush. Right. That basically brings me right into my next question is the the whole taboo surrounding that. So why do you think there's still such a taboo surrounding personal finance, despite it being such a massive topic in all our lives? I mean, everybody has bank accounts nowadays, so this touches every aspect of the world. I think there are so many factors at play. And one of the things that I speak about um, on the podcast and uh, and to really anyone who will listen is, you know, to think back on your earliest money memory. And I think back on mine, and I've told this story on my podcast, that one of my earliest memories of money was watching my mom pay bills um, with a checkbook. Anybody remember those? Um, <laughs> I'm old. Um, and me asking her what she was doing because I was curious and her response to me, and I I don't think she was thinking that this would really affect me that much, but she said, it's none of your business. So that narrative is something that I continued to tell myself into adulthood. And when I got into my first relationship, well, money's none of your business. You're going to let your husband take care of it for you or your dad or whatever it is. And I remember it was my first year running stance and I was in the Eaton Center and I overheard a group of university students talking about banking. And one of them said, you know, I really feel like I need to bring my dad when I go to the bank because I feel like I can't do this without him. So I think that there's still a lot of it is how we were brought up. And then we just kind of keep telling ourselves that narrative over and over and over and and kind of stop ourselves from learning more in a lot of ways because that narrative is like someone else's problem and it's really not it's it's your money it's your life and you need to take control of it because no one is coming to save you right and that's if correct me if i'm wrong that's essentially what stance is going for is giving women especially the opportunity to speak about their finances Definitely. Definitely. And, you know, we encourage, talk to you, you know, talk to your friends. We talk about sex more than we talk about money. And I really think that it's just, it's something that we really need to take control of. And like you said, everybody has a bank account. Everybody has money. Why aren't we talking about this? Why aren't we bringing it up in our WhatsApp chats? Why aren't we talking about it when we go out for drinks? Why aren't we talking about 
hey, you know what? Um, my, my performance review is coming up and I really want to ask for a salary increase. How do I have that conversation? When's the last time you had a conversation with your friend about that? So we avoid it because there's a lot of shame and fear wrapped up in that, right? Yeah, totally. And that kind of brings it back to like, if you talk about your salary increase with employees, that may convince the boss that maybe the, these two are on equal levels and they should be paid the same, or maybe, maybe not. Maybe the competitive market is just there and one employee is outperforming, they should be paid more. But if you do have those conversations, I think those topics will be brought up more and it, and it could be beneficial to everybody. Definitely. The more you talk about it, the more you encourage other people to talk about it. And I've seen that over and over in my time with Stance. Right. Um, one thing that you had mentioned was the financial confidence. So I would like to kind of bring it back to there. Why do many people, and especially young people nowadays, for sure, why do they tend to have uh, considerable low financial literacy and confidence? That's a juicy one. And I think that going back to touching on the last question, I think money is really intrinsically tied to our emotions. And I think we try to ignore that because we want it to be very black and white, but the simple fact of it is that it's not. And one thing I keep thinking back to is that Stance hosted an event um, prior to the pandemic, and we just kind of took a very unofficial survey of people in the room, how they felt about money. And I'll never forget this, that the top three emotions that people talked about were guilt, shame, and fear. So when you think about how that informs your financial decisions, it really leads to the question like, are we making smart decisions when we're led by those negative emotions as a driver, right? So I can tell you personally, my worst financial decisions were 100% driven by shame or fear. And I really think that that's another reason we have low financial confidence. And I think another big one is that fear of asking questions. And I'm still actively battling that in my own life, in my own financial life and in my career, that there are times I avoid asking questions because I just don't want to appear uneducated. And I think that happens a lot of times and regardless of your gender. But how else do you learn by asking questions, right? And I think that's what we're doing with Stance at EQ is making it okay to ask those questions and explore things that you might not know about. And something that at EQ we're really driven by is we want our clients to be educated and well-informed and financially savvy because what's in it for us if they're not? Right. Yeah. You get, you get the financial savvy ones coming. It's way better for business. If you have people that are more intelligent as clients, then it's going to improve business overall. Um, one thing that i took note of there is a, a kind of famous saying, if you learn something easily, you will forget something easily too. So ask those questions, get beaten down by the answers and you won't forget them. I think that's something that everybody needs to take into account. Oh yeah. And I, um, I share one of my, my big financial mistakes on the podcast. You know, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not suggesting everyone should go out and make a terrible financial mistake, but, but look at the value of the mistakes that you've made. You're never going to make them again. You know, it, you, you have that experience of going out and maybe, okay, so maybe you lose money on an investment or maybe you, you know, make a wrong financial turn. It's not the end of the world most times, hopefully, but looking back on the mistakes that you might've made and say, what did I learn from this? What can I do better in the future? What can I teach my kids? What can I, you know, share with my friends to say, Hey, I did this and this was the wrong move. You know, it, it, education, 
Yeah, totally. I, when the pandemic started, I didn't have a TFSA account. I was just all revolved around savings. And mm-hmm. if I didn't jump in and and take that TFSA account, of course I've made mistakes. You can't make every investment, right? But if you go and you make those mistakes, you're more likely to make better ones in the future. And if I would have never opened up a TFSA account, I would still be sitting there yeah. on a savings account. I wanted to jump back to the industry again. Um, I was wondering if you could tell us some of the challenges and barriers that EQ or all banks are facing today. In my personal opinion, I feel like investing is a big one. And in my time with Stance, I've had the opportunity to speak with a lot of people from a lot of different walks of life. And it often seems like it's almost like there's these invisible walls around the investing conversation. I once said to my CEO, it seems like a secret club that I don't have the password to. And um, I had the opportunity to speak with Jackie Porter recently on my podcast. For those who don't know Jackie, she's a financial advisor. She's Canada's financial confidant. She's amazing. I'm a big fan. And we talked about investing on the podcast. And one of the big myths that came up is that you have to be wealthy to invest, which is something that I thought for many, many years. It's not true. It's not true that investors are rich white guys. Like, and Jackie put it perfectly. She said, you know, investing is what you do in order to become wealthy. And that really stuck with me. So I think that that's something that we, again, need to just open up that conversation more, talk about investing, talk about different ways you can invest, talk about no matter what income bracket you're in, there's a different way that you can invest that makes sense for you. So that's, I would say, the present of finance. And I would like to jump forward a little bit to the future of personal finance. Have you ever heard of the magic wand theory? No, tell me. Magic wand theory is something that uh, Joe Rogan famously does. And what he says is, uh, if I give you a magic wand, what can you do with that? And so it really gets the creative juices flowing. So I'm going to give you a magic wand. And what changes do you hope to see in this area or EQ Bank in the next five to 10 years? Ooh, okay. I'm going to take that magic wand and I want to see in the financial industry more representation of folks in marginalized groups. One of the big ways that we can ensure to make financial services accessible to people in marginalized groups is make sure that they can find someone to identify with in the financial industry who looks like them. And currently, I'm not really seeing it as much. It's changing slowly, but if I could have it changed very, very quickly with my magic wand, I would do that. As Sarah noted, we've made some good progress towards breaking down the barriers surrounding personal finance, but there's still a long way to go. Building financial literacy and confidence is essential for today's youth, especially women and marginalized communities. And resources like Stance and the Take Back Talk Back are helping to accomplish this. I love what Sarah said about thinking back to your earliest memories surrounding money, then comparing these ideas to the beliefs you hold about finances today. While many of us might have negative or skewed beliefs about money left over from childhood or past experiences, the good news is that we have the power to unlearn these limiting concepts and replace them with a more empowering paradigm. Let's hear what Sarah had to say about helping people build financial literacy and the future of personal finance. I have a very cherished memory of an event I spoke at very early in my time in stance. And I left the stage and a woman approached me and she asked me for a hug and and we got to chatting and she shared, because I had shared a vulnerable financial story, she shared one of hers. Um, She was in a not so great marriage and got into a fair amount of debt because of her husband's gambling issues. And 
she was about to become debt-free after many years of struggling. And she was really embarrassed. And she said, you know, I don't tell my, I don't tell anybody the story because when I told my friends, they said it was my fault and that I went into this situation eyes open and I should have known better and I should have protected myself more. And I, I thought, wait, 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 wait. Okay. First of all, you need better friends. Second of all, <laughs> who got you out of debt? Them? No. Him? No, you did. You got yourself there. And to me, that's a win. So again, she learned lessons and then got herself out of it. So I kind of encouraged her to start thinking about it as a win. So that really, really inspired me. And I think it goes back to that guilt and shame and fear about your past financial decisions and that they shouldn't define you. Right. Because overall, you're the one pulling the trigger, right? Like you're the one pressing enter or pressing send. Those are your decisions. Exactly. And it actually makes me think about, um, and I know I talk about my podcast a lot, but we had another uh, interesting conversation with David O'Leary from Kind Wealth, and he spoke very vulnerably about his uh, experience being bankrupt and how that guilt and shame, it just, it just made things worse because he can't ask for help because he's hiding his situation. And so, you know, when you know better, you do better. And I think that that's, uh, that's a that's a big thing. Your mistakes don't define you. You can still be financially successful in the future, despite a misstep in the past. Yeah, totally. You can't take them as burdens. And exactly like you said, the guilt and shame can't destroy you. Because for example, so Colonel Sanders made KFC at what, 65 years old. If he were to, to succumb to any of those burdens or any of those guilts, we wouldn't have KFC, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> It's true. It's true. <laughs> now you know what I'm going to be craving for dinner is that secret <laughs> recipe. Um, but go. but no, you're right. And and you know we're we're so into talking about the 25 year old who is a billionaire, and we're not talking about okay, show me the person who, you know got their PhD when they were 50 or you know wrote their first book when they were 65. I want to hear those stories. Totally, stick yeah. with it. Like literally, everything mm -hmm. is a lesson. Regardless of how painful that lesson looks, you got to learn from absolutely every single one out there. Absolutely. What's next for you and the Stance team? What big plans do you have in the pipeline? I'm really excited. And this is, so this isn't exactly pipeline, but just something that I'm very excited about. I'm excited that right now the Stance podcast is currently over 50,000 downloads. That awesome. for me is huge because... And, and you know this, you know, when you put something out there, you're not really sure if it's going to resonate with people. So that number means a lot to me because it means that this is resonating. The financial conversations are happening and people are, you know, at least downloading it. Um, so when I, when I got the opportunity to lead Stance, I always said to myself, okay, you know, if I inspire one person, that makes me happy. So this blew my expectations out of the water. So for future, to your question, my future includes at EQ, doing even more content, looking for even more challengery ways to have financial conversations. I know challengery is not a word, but you know, just <laughs> go with it. Make um, it go. Yeah. And, and, and just kind of seeing how else we can push forward this um, financial conversation and give people those tools that they need to be successful. So I'm looking forward to what more we can do with that. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan of challenger and anything. Cause if you have challenger banks, if you have challenger arenas, challenger sports teams, it only makes the ones that are existing in that industry grow and innovate. 
Exactly. Exactly. Because, and it's, you know, it's not innovation for the sake of innovation. It's innovation to, to really bust through, like we say, that nonsense, bring that value and, uh, and just make everybody's life better. And before we end off, Sarah, uh, do you have anything to tell the listeners about what you have going on in your life? I know we've shouted out your podcast a couple of times. Why don't you give us the name of the podcast? Absolutely. It is called Take Back, Talk Back. Um, you can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever else you get your content. Um, you can also find it by searching Stance, um, S-T-N-C-E. Don't forget to forget the A. Um, you can also find, you can find our challenger series on EQ Bank Instagram. And um, there's lots of cool tips and hacks that we're putting out all the time on EQ Bank social. Um, cool. And uh, some cool articles on our blog and just always kind of putting stuff out there that people can hopefully enjoy and learn from. Super cool. And then for you personally, where can we find you on social media? So if you want to find a ton of pictures of my cat, Pluto, you can find me <laughs> at Xander nerd on Instagram. <laughs> Alrighty. Xander nerd. I like yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> that's me. That's me. Also a lot of probably Taylor Swift content. Awesome. Well, Sarah, I really appreciate you coming on the episode and I will definitely be looking at EQ Bank. Thank you so much for having me. Sarah made some excellent points about the nature of the finance industry today and the steps we all need to take to build a better, more inclusive landscape. Here are some of the key insights I'll be taking away from today's episode. If we hope to make the finance industry more accessible to the average person, we need more diverse representation within the banking sector. When more people are able to see themselves reflected in the finance industry, they will be more likely to build trust, confidence, and literacy when it comes to banking and personal finance. There's also a need to break down the barriers surrounding the world of investing. Sarah mentioned that many people carry the belief that the world of investing is a secret club reserved for older, white men. But in reality, it's a topic that everybody should be more educated about. Investing is simply an opportunity to create more personal wealth and everyone should have fair and equal access to this. Whether we like it or not, our finances are intrinsically tied to our emotional lives. Sarah mentioned that the most common emotions linked with money are shame, guilt, and fear, which are all bound to lead to poor decision-making skills. To counter this, we can start by pushing past our fears, asking more questions, and exploring educational resources to increase confidence and trust in ourselves. Thanks for listening to Present Day Pioneers. I hope you learned something valuable from today's episode and that you're feeling inspired to forge forward boldly into a better future. I'm your host, Jackson Bokenfor. Be sure to tune in for the next episode and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. 